0: All right, it is good to be with you. This past week I was thinking a lot about what happened last Saturday evening in our nation. I was thinking a lot about just the the act that took place in uh, in Orlando. Watching the news, seeing things on Facebook, seeing families that are hurting, seeing a city that's very unsettled, that's very on edge. Anytime something like this happens, I think it sets us even on edge somewhat as a, as a country. We start to feel like things maybe aren't quite as steady as we thought they were. We start to think about our own lives. We start to think about um, certain dangers. And it can be very unsettling. Um, it can be a time where you feel like you're almost in kind of a weird vertigo. And I was talking uh, to one of my really good friends yesterday. He did the funeral of one of the victims. And he was just sharing a little bit about that, that, that about 750 people came out just to this funeral, and he was like, I probably hugged over 200 people that were just looking for some form of comfort, that were just felt like their world was upside down. Family members, friends, people in the community, wondering what does safety look like? What does security look like? What's going on? He's like, I hugged those people, talked with them, tried to share what I could with them, but it became clear that they felt very unsettled. And I think that in our lives, we, we have times where we feel unsettled, where maybe things just seem like, like we're not on firm foundation, or where we're wondering what's, what's next, or what does this look like, or maybe it seems like life's really chaotic, or things just aren't working out the way that you hoped they would. And you're looking around, and you're like, what's in front of me? What, what is God doing in the midst of this? What's happening? And ultimately, what we want to hear probably more than anything is that it's going to be okay, that there is safety, that there is security, that there is purpose. As we open up John 21 today, and we're in the last chapter, this is the second last week that we're going to be in John. We've been going through it for the past year and a half. We encounter the disciples of Jesus, and Jesus has already come back from the grave. He's overcome sin and death, and you'd think that there would just be A huge amount of rejoicing. Jesus has actually seen the disciples twice now. He's appeared to them as a whole group twice, and then he's appeared to some of them separately, individually. But that's not what we see with the disciples today in John 21. They're disoriented. They seem lost. They seem very unsettled. They're unsure of what's next. They're unsure of what's really going on or what's ahead of them. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to John 21. If you don't, it's going to be up on the screen here. There's also A uh, red Bible in the pew that you can also pick up. And we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 21. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, after this, you should always look back and say, Okay, after what? Um, He had appeared to the disciples and to Thomas, doubting Thomas. Uh, If you know who that is, Thomas did not see Jesus. He missed it um, when he came and he visited the disciples. And Thomas was like, I'm not going to be fooled. I don't believe this. I actually need to see him in the flesh. And so Thomas did, and he believed. He declared Jesus as his Lord. And so after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, And the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. This is what Simon did. This is what Peter did before Jesus. I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got in the boat. But that night they caught nothing. And so the disciples here, it seems like they're really not sure what to do. They're not sure what's next. Jesus has appeared to them a couple times. But they seem to have lost their way a bit. And so Simon Peter's like, hey, I used to fish back in the day. I'm, I'm just going to go fishing. And they're like, we'll come with you. I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen next. So we'll just, we're looking at our watch. They didn't have watches. But they're like, we'll go fishing with you. And so they, they head out into the boat. What's interesting is that Jesus has actually communicated to them in the days before exactly what he wants them to do. But they don't seem to be embracing that. They seem to be forgetting that he actually breathed on them. The Holy Spirit is in them. And they've been called to something far greater. But they seem to kind of lost track of that. They seem disoriented. They don't seem very um, intentional in what God has called them to. And so instead, they're reverting back to the past. So they're out fishing. And they really do seem pretty spiritually and emotionally lost here as to what the future holds. And it says they catch nothing. All right, so that's probably frustrating. They're already wondering, like, what's going on here? Jesus is back from the dead. We spent three years with him. He's appeared to us a couple times. We're not exactly sure what's going to happen next. And so they're like, let's go fishing. And they go fishing at night because the fish couldn't see the nets as well. Um, And so they're fishing at night and they catch nothing. Probably pretty frustrating. I think maybe one of the reasons they caught nothing is because this was not what they were supposed to be doing. (laughs) Jesus didn't want them out there fishing like they were just taking up their old jobs. He had something very different for them. But they caught nothing. And so it says in verse 4, Just as the day was breaking, so the sun's coming out, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So they were actually a little ways off. It wasn't because Jesus looked a lot different. It wasn't because Jesus had taken on a different form. They just, they just couldn't make him out. They didn't know who it was. They saw that there was a man on the shore, but they didn't know that it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. The last two times that I've gone fishing, I've caught zero fish. I have lost one phone, but I've caught zero fish. And if you go fishing, and you're excited to actually catch fish, and you catch nothing— It's really frustrating, but the only thing that's more frustrating is if somebody new shows up that hasn't been there with you all day or all night, in this case, and they're like, hey, what you really need to do is this. And you're just like, come on, man. Uh, Don't tell me what I need to do. Like, I've tried everything, and I'm still not catching fish. And so there's this guy on the shore, and they don't know it's Jesus, and he's like, hey, have you caught anything? And they're like, no, we've caught nothing. It's a bummer night, and he's like, all right, we'll just cast your net on the right side. Now at this point, they'd probably tried everything, and they're just like, well, what do you have to lose? Um, And so they cast their net on the right side of the boat, and here's what happens. It's pretty amazing. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in, because the quantity of fish, that disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, that's how he refers to himself, who's writing this, therefore said to Peter, hey... This isn't just a guy with good advice. This isn't just a master fisherman. This is Jesus. This is the Lord. What's amazing here is that three years earlier, a very similar experience took place with the disciples. They were out fishing, and Jesus came along, and he instructed them to cast out their nets, and it said that two boats had to bring it in, and they brought in this huge haul. But when they came in, Jesus said, you're no longer going to be fishermen in the sense of you're going to go out in boats and just fish, and that's going to be what you do, but you are now going to be fishers of men. I'm going to take you under my wing. You're going to do ministry for me for the next three years. I'm going to prepare you for what is ahead of you. I've given you something new, a new mission that I'm going to send you on. For John, the light bulb came on. He remembered this, and so he says to Peter, this is Jesus. Jesus. Remember? Don't you remember a few years ago when this happened? This is Jesus. And so, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net of full fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Now, this is really interesting what Peter does. Peter's the one that actually jumps off the boat. And tries to get to Jesus as quickly as he can. Now to understand this situation and what's going on here. You have to remember what happened about two weeks ago with Peter. Peter denied Jesus. Peter cursed Jesus. Peter fled from Jesus for safety. And so you have to think about this whole situation that's unfolding here. Under that umbrella of what Peter has done just two weeks ago. But Peter recognizes when John says that's Jesus. He recognizes who it is, and he responds. Now you and I, we, we, when we recognize certain people, we respond differently depending on who they are and what kind of relationship we have with them. When you see family that you really love and you're really close to, what do you do? You probably go toward them, embrace them. When you're at the grocery store and you see someone that you're not as close to or maybe you're not as good friends with, maybe you go down the other aisle. Is that, any of you, none of you do that? Neither do I. Um, but, you know... No, I I would never go down the other aisle on any of you all. But the point is, depending on who it is that you recognize, we respond differently, depending on the relationship. And so it's really interesting that Peter, who has denied Jesus just a couple weeks before, is the first and only disciple to actually basically dive into the sea. Nothing can hold him back from getting to Jesus as quickly as possible. So Peter, he was stripped for work. They probably didn't wear a ton as they're out fishing. It's, a, it's kind of a gross task. They're hauling in fish. It could be hot out. But yet he puts on his outer garment, which is really interesting here. And really, I think what it points to is he knew who he was going to. He was going to be in the presence of his Lord, and so he covers himself before he jumps into the sea. Now, what's really cool here is that it points us back to the Garden of Eden. I don't know if you remember that, but when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They covered themselves. They covered themselves because of their nakedness and their shame. They covered themselves, and not only did they do that, but they hid from God because they were scared of what they thought God might do. And so they cover themselves, and they run. But what's beautiful about this is post-resurrection, post-Jesus putting to death sin and death, Peter, even though he has denied Christ just two weeks earlier, even though... He cursed Christ, even though he wasn't there at his crucifixion because he had fled. Here's what he does. He covers himself, and he runs toward his Savior. Nothing is keeping him from getting to Jesus. And you might, you might say here, if you, if you look at this, you might actually say, man, I would expect that Peter might jump into the water, but he would be swimming the opposite direction. Like, man, if that's Jesus, I'm out of here. <laughs> Uh, good luck for me because I don't think Jesus is going to want to see me. I don't think Jesus is going to want to have anything to do with me. He knows that I've sinned against him. He knows my doubts. He knows that I've denied him. But yet, that's not Peter's response because Peter understood something critical. And it's something that I want you to hear today as Christ reveals himself to the disciples that if you have a relationship with Jesus in Christ, you are clean. You are clean. If you have a genuine relationship with Jesus, where you're trusting him as your savior, where you really believe that he really did go to the cross, taking on the sin of the world, that he really did die, that he really did overcome sin and death, because God looked at the son, the father looked at the son, and said that is a good sacrifice, that is a good payment. And then Jesus rose from the grave, and he offers grace, and he offers love to those who will receive that and believe that. If you have a relationship with Jesus today, you are clean. Peter struggled with sin. Peter struggled with doubts. Peter struggled with denial. Maybe you've struggled with sin. Maybe you're still, we're all still struggling with sin. Maybe you have doubts. Maybe you're wondering where God is right now in your life, in your marriage, in your circumstances. Maybe you've even walked away and wandered away like the prodigal son. If you are in Christ, you are still clean. There is no punishment for you because it was all poured out on Jesus on the cross. No matter what you do, no matter how far you wander, no matter what you get yourself into, if you are in Christ, you are clean, you are loved, nothing is going to separate you From that. There's no wrath for you. There's no punishment for you. When Jesus said, It is finished, it is finished. And Peter understood this that nothing could separate him from the love of his Savior. And he wanted nothing to keep him from that. And so when Peter knew that it was Jesus on the shore, he dove right in. He left everything behind because he wanted to be with his Lord. Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe life feels turned upside down, chaotic. Maybe it's because you've been wandering. You've been looking for safety and security somewhere else. And Jesus is saying, I'm here, and I'm pursuing you. Maybe you've been wandering kind of like uh, the prodigal son. You've gone down your own path. Maybe sin has entered in, and now you're like, I don't know if God would want anything to do with me. But what's awesome is that God is there waiting for you. And not only that, here's what's better. It's even better than the prodigal son, because not only is the father waiting for you, the father is actually going to you and pursuing you. He loves you that much, or he won't let you wander forever. Maybe you think that you're, too unclean. And here's the deal. Sometimes we do unclean things. That is true. But if you are in Christ, that does not change your identity as a spotless son or daughter when God looks at you because he doesn't see you. He sees you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And that's good news. I'm just going to say this. I thought about it last night. I didn't write it down here in my notes, but I feel like it's critical to say I think we really struggle with that, that there's no more punishment for us to pay. I think some of us actually want to be punished by God. If I'm being totally honest, I think some of us have a really hard time embracing the full grace of God that he offers. We almost feel like it would be better if there was something more we could pay. It's kind of like when I would act up at church as a kid, which I did often, and my parents would tell me that I was going to have a punishment when I got home. If they forgot about that, I could not stand that they forgot about it. I would rather endure the punishment and be done with it. And I think some of us, when we fall into sin or when we wander or when we have doubts or when we have a crisis of faith, we want to make a payment. We want something to happen in our lives so we feel like, we feel like we're being punished because maybe it makes us feel better. Here's the truth. We, that means that we're, having a, a, we're not fully understanding the grace that Jesus offers. There is no more punishment for you. There's no more punishment for the sons and daughters. Not if you're in Christ. There's nothing more to pay because Jesus paid it all. That's how much He loves you. It's Father's Day today, and for those who are fathers in here, that is awesome. Um, You have a great uh, role that God has given you that He has blessed you with. And so we celebrate with you today. Your, Your family, the children that you have, we rejoice with you. If we went around this room, we probably have some different experiences as far as fathers go. Some of you have really good thoughts when you think about the word father, when you think about your father. Um, Your father maybe was great and just loved you well, pointed you to Jesus. For some, maybe it's not that when you think about your earthly father. Maybe you didn't have the best earthly father. Um, Maybe your earthly father uh, walked out on your family. Maybe your earthly father didn't show you the love that he should have shown you. Maybe that relationship has been a difficult relationship or a challenging relationship, or maybe it's a completely disconnected relationship. And so when you think about father Fond thoughts don't come to mind. Instead, it's a hard time. Maybe some of you have lost a father. And so that's difficult for you today, even as you think about the idea of a father. Maybe some of you want to be fathers, but you're not fathers yet. And so it's a challenge. Here's what I want you to see, though, is that that God is such a good father. And the love that Jesus shows his disciples, and the love and the grace that Jesus shows the world, even as he has said throughout his ministry— It's not even just to bring glory to himself, but to bring glory to the Father. As a son who has been loved and who has a great father, who has a perfect father. As I was thinking about this, if you are a father in here, I want you to think about the first time that you held your child or your children. Think about that first time. I would guarantee you that some sort of weight probably came over you as far as a protective sense. This is your child. There is nothing that you would do that you wouldn't do to protect them. If anybody tried to do any harm to your child, you would do anything necessary to make sure that that didn't happen. I'm sure that you would be genuine even in saying it, but many of you, you would say, I would absolutely lay down my life for my children. There's nothing that that could come their way that I wouldn't try to protect them from. And probably that first time when you held your child for the first time, you probably held them very tight and securely because you didn't want them to fall. You didn't want to let them go. That is the kind of father that we have in God. In God, you have a father who's never walking out on you. In God, you have a father who never turns his back on you, no matter how many times you turn your back on him. In God, you have a father who gives good things to his children and not punishment. In God, you have a father who loves you so much that he gave you the most precious thing he had to give in his son Jesus. So today might be challenging, it might be rejoicing as you think about a father, but this is the type of father that God is. He is a perfect father with a perfect son. And Peter understood that, and so he heads toward Jesus. He runs toward him. He uh, he doesn't run toward him, he swims toward him. Sorry, he's not walking on water in this passage. In verse 9 it says, we pick back up. But they got out on land and they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now uh, John's pretty precise here. He says that there are 153 fish. I cannot tell you how many um, ideas there are on what 153 fish mean here. I mean, I read some of the craziest ideas. Like it's the number of disciples times the amount of miracles that Jesus did divided by the square root of seven equal 153 fish. That's what, that's what it had to be, right? Or uh, one that 153 fish represented the 153 species of fish. And this is, I'm just like, all right, all right. Well, I don't see that here. Um, a lot of different ideas on the significance of 153 fish. You know what I think it means? That there were 153 fish it came in. And this makes sense, right? When a miracle happens, you're going to remember some details about it. And so I'm sure it's kind of like, it's kind of like this. It's like, man, that is a ton of fish. How many fish do you think are in there? I don't know. Let's count it. Oh, there are 153. What this points to is just the abundance of Jesus providing for his disciples. It points to him being Lord. It's a reminder that he's Lord. He's reminding his disciples here because they've forgotten. And then he says, bring some of the fish. I think this is really significant. Because it says that Jesus already had laid out some fish and bread. So he already had that laid out. He already had a fire laid out. But yet he invites them to bring some of the fish into the meal as well. And this really seems to be him inviting them into what he's doing. Which he's already done. I mean, just a chapter before, he's telling the disciples, just as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. And so he says, hey, bring some of your fish over here too. And I think that John includes that because it's actually important. It really seems to be an invitation in. Jesus didn't need the fish. And Jesus doesn't need you and I to save people. He doesn't need you and I to do anything. But he invites us into it because he wants us to participate as his children for those who have a relationship with him. And so he invites them to participate. I think he's also reminding them that for you guys— Fish is no longer for catching, but it's for eating because I've called you to something else. Remember, you're no longer just fishers of fish, you're fishers of men. He's also reminding them that he had placed the Holy Spirit in them, and that now they were sent to spread this message. As I said in John 20, it says, Just as, I, just as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. And the best thing, here's the, here's the deal, when you find safety and security and purpose in Jesus, which Jesus is reminding the disciples of who he is, Of what he's done and now of who they are. When you have found that, the best thing that you have to offer anyone, the most valuable thing that you have to offer anyone, the most critical news that you could share with anyone, the best thing that you have to offer is not something that's in monetary form. The best thing that you have to offer others is giving them Jesus. That comes in different forms, but that's the best thing that you have to offer. Then this, this news, that once I was lost, but then Jesus found me. And he took all of my brokenness, and he's made me whole. He took all of my wickedness, and he's made me clean. He's given me new life out of death. He's rescued me. And now in Christ, I know that no matter what comes, no matter if everything falls apart around me, no matter if the world comes crashing down, in Christ I am safe and secure. That is the best thing that we can share with anyone. That we would share this message with those around us. That as we are disciples of Jesus and we grow to become more like him, we share more of him with those around us. Whoever that may be, people at work, people on the street, our family members, our spouses, our children. Because the idea of safety and security, what it does is it recognizes that there is otherwise danger. And there are millions of people in danger. And we look on the news and we see the horrific things that happen, like what happened last week in Orlando, and we see attacks, and we see wars, and we see people committing heinous crimes that don't make sense, and we wonder, what's going on? Where's the purpose? And we think, could things get any worse? And the answer is yes. The worst thing would be living and dying without Jesus. Living and dying without a relationship with the one person, with the one God, who laid down his life so that you could have new life. That's the worst thing that could happen. And so does our heart, just ask, even as we're looking at this, does our heart beat to get this message out to all people and all types of people? This is a mission he gave to the disciples, that they would go and that this message would spread throughout the world. And although the disciples are now long gone, the, remi- the mission remains the same. And it's just as critical. And this is a rescue mission that can reach from the richest person in Green Lake to the most in-need person on Aurora, whether white, African-American, Asian, any other race, man, woman, or child, that God has invited us to spread the good news that there is safety and security, but it's not found in the government, it's not found in money, it's not found in success, it's not found in world peace. It's found in the finished work of the cross where the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit save and bring in the lost, and the lost are forever found, and the broken are healed, and the orphans are adopted into the family, and the enslaved are set free. Through Jesus we're safe, through Jesus we're secure, and with Jesus we're sent. Does our heart beat for that? I felt such a heavy conviction over the past months that, man, does my heart beat for that? Does my heart beat for this community? There are thousands of people probably walking Green Lake right now. Does my heart beat for them in a way that I'm saying, I've found safety and security. I need to sound the alarm and let them know, hey, you're headed toward danger, but there's safety and security and love in Jesus. You're trying to find safety and security and things that are going to fall apart. You're trying to build up your own mini kingdoms, but all those are going to come crashing down, there's only one thing that can give you what you long for. When you long for that question at the end of the day, is everything going to be okay? Only in Christ is the answer yes. Even if th- and let me just say this, even if things get challenging, even if things get worse, which for the disciples, as Jesus reminds them of who they are, who he is, and what they're about to do, things are going to get worse. This isn't some happy ending where the disciples just ride off into the sunset, and it's like they live to be a very old age. And then they didn't even die. It was like an Elisha moment, and God just took them up to heaven. It's just like, man, that's amazing. No, no, no. They they went and they did some hard work, and then guess what? They suffered some hard deaths. Many of them were crucified, like Christ. Some were beheaded, some were stoned. But even when everything started falling down around them, they had confidence in one thing. And that was in the security of Jesus, the love of God. So I want to encourage you today. Your world may seem upside down, it may feel chaotic. Things may not be playing out like you think they should, like you think they would. Relationships may be strained. You may feel unsafe. You may feel insecure. You may be broken. You may be caught in sin. Don't look to other things. Look to Jesus. Don't run to other things. Run to Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are, there is hope in Jesus and there is goodness in the Father. And if you need a reminder of that, look to the cross. There's no greater reminder of the goodness that the Father has for His children. So it is Father's Day. Fathers, let me just challenge you today that the best thing that you can give to your family, to your children, is to point them to Jesus. This is your mission first and foremost. Don't forget that. More than the things that you can provide them, they need a dad that is telling them about Jesus and showing them Jesus. Y'all hear that ice cream truck? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. As we, as we complete this... Uh, this passage today, and let me get to these last verses. It's really easy for us to lose sight and wander. I was thinking about this song that we sang, Come Thou Fount. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We are so prone to wander. But even when we wander, God is so patient with us, and He is so gracious to us. He's kind and patient. He doesn't, you notice here, He doesn't come yelling at the disciples. He could have. He could have said, Have y'all lost your minds? Why are you out here fishing? I told you I was sending you for another reason. You're out here wasting your time. You spent three years with me. I don't even know if I should keep investing in you. I don't even know if I should keep serving you. You've turned your back on me. He doesn't do that at all. Here's what he does. He comes and he's patient and he's loving. And here's what he says. He says, hey, why don't you guys come and have breakfast with me? Why don't you come and commune with me? Why don't you come and spend time with me? Because that's what I want to spend with you. It's awesome. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? (laughs) They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. There's significance in that this was the third time. This marked the conclusion of them being unsettled, uncertain. And it really marked the initiation of what's about to happen as we finish John and move into Acts. If you move into the book of Acts, is that the spread of the gospel is going to take off like wildfire. The disciples knew that this was their Lord. They have a newfound confidence in him. They feel safe with him, secure, and with a purpose. They're safe, secure, and they're sent. And so John tells us that this was the third time. This would last for the rest of their lives and their ministries as they would go and they would start the early church, as they would go and they would preach, and as they would see many lives changed because of what Jesus had done. So as we finish this, sometimes, let me just say this, sometimes we lose sight and we simply need to gaze upon the cross. We simply need to remember who Jesus is and what he's done. That God is fully in control. We need to be reminded that when we stumble, when we doubt, when we fear, when we run, when we fall, that we are not alone and have an advocate in Jesus that goes to the Father on our behalf we need to remember that what Jesus offers to do for us is far greater than what we could ever do for ourselves. And if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I hope that even through this passage and seeing the way that Jesus responds to his disciples and hearing about the goodness of a father who's not going to abandon you, leave you, turn his back on you, dismiss you, but wants to know you, that you would know that this is offered to you that you can experience, that you can have a relationship with Him. He will gladly take your sin, which He has already paid for on the cross, and He will give you new life if you will surrender to Him. Sometimes we need to look and re- look around and remember what God has given us, even in the challenging times, to remember that even if everything else fell away and fell apart, nothing can take away His sweetest gift and His Son, Jesus and maybe we need to remember that there are many who have not yet found safety and security through a relationship with Jesus, and that Jesus has called us out of darkness to shine the light of his love and his grace. We've been asking for a year and a half the question, who is Jesus, as we've looked at the Gospel of John. And ultimately, if you want to bring it down to something really simple yet so true, Jesus is love as the Father is love. And our mission, what we've been sent to do, is to sound the alarm and to help point others to safety. And that safety is found in the finished work of the cross, the person and work of Jesus.